I'm Thanasi Kambanis. You're listening to Order From Ashes. Today, we have the fifth of five episodes in the Broken Bond series, the existential crisis of Egypt's Muslim Brotherhood, 2013 to 2022. Uh, today, uh, one of the book's co-authors, Amir El-Afifi, is joining me to talk about the third uh, and final crisis of the ones the researchers identified, the membership crisis, and also about the way forward, the policy implications uh, and the future, uh, what all this research says about the future of the Brotherhood. Amir, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. So in the previous four episodes, we've heard about Ayash's uh, personal journey uh, as a, a kid who grew up in the Brotherhood and ended up eventually drifting away and becoming uh, a researcher. Uh, we heard about the uh, the sort of big picture, why this matters from the three of you co-authors, from you and uh, Noha Khaled and, and Ayash uh, talking together about what the significance of the Brotherhood is and why we should care about its crisis today, what the significance of that is for, for Egypt and for uh, uh, international policy in general. Uh, then we heard from Noha about the identity crisis. We heard from Ayash about the legitimacy crisis. Uh, and now uh, we're here with you today, Amr, to talk about the membership crisis, uh, which in some ways as a, as a social historian uh, in my uh, long ago origins is is one of the most interesting uh, uh, prisms uh, through which to talk about about this crisis. So, tell us what what exactly you mean uh, to start with uh, when you refer to a membership crisis. Thank you so much. So, the the best way to think about this membership crisis is as a culmination of uh, Noha and Ayesh's uh, interjections. So. Just like to, to bring everyone up to speed with the identity crisis, what what, what Noha or what the book is arguing is that the Brotherhood, at, at, through different historical junctures, failed to have a, a positive definition of what it is, right? And it was sort of like molded and reshaped in the image of society in some aspects, in the image of the state in some aspects, and it, uh, it sort of its its sense of adaptability uh morphed with that as well right so like it was it was colored by um what what society was doing and what the state was doing at the time from Nasser to Sadat to Mubarak through different repressive waves uh, what Ayat says in the legitimacy crisis and what he uh I'm, I'm sure presented on is that the way in which people built their own legitimacies within the organization was oftentimes based on certain ordeals they endured, right? The ordeal of 65, having lived in uh, hiding for, for certain amounts of years. There are narratives and stories about people who hid during Nasser and were in hiding for 20 years within the country that showed that like only came out. Right. After, it's sort of su uh, suffering is the badge of, of, of credibility uh, for organizational leadership. Absolutely. So now, now post-2013, we're in a place where the organization is torn in different countries, right? There's uh, there's a lot of members who fled the country, who are in, who fled Egypt, who are in Sudan. People are in Qatar, people are in Malaysia, folk are in Turkey. So when we talk, when we think through the prism of this identity crisis, you no longer have one society, you no longer have one state in which the brotherhood can adapt, it can sort of like mold its... Uh, organization it's aura into uh and you and you have people who came out from one from a certain type of experience and socialization into different types of social 
global civilizations into different type of, of, of societies, ranging from democratic to severely autocratic uh, in ways that impacted how they think about the world and how they think about their membership within the organization. And within the prism of the legitimacy crisis as well, you have people who are born uh, in the 90s onwards, right, mid to late 90s, who endured episodes of repression, torture, victimization, prison that are like as severe or more severe than what these ordeal-based legitimacies that happened in the 60s and 70s and onwards, or 60s and later in the uh, 90s onwards, were based on. Um, and and within that is the contradiction of this membership crisis, right? Like what what does it mean to be a brother? What how do we rethink these legitimacies within the organization? And what does the brotherhood as an organization have to offer these people in its state of uh, crisis as well? It doesn't have the same social fabric as it used to. It doesn't have the same amount of money and networks as it used to once in Egypt uh, as a space for uh, people to 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 like enjoy or like. Uh, rank go up the ranks of social of, of the social ladder so to speak. so this is this is at, at heart when you talk about when you refer to a membership crisis you're starting with this this notion of it no longer means what it used to it no longer means the same thing to be a member uh of this organization and 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 the sort of the sort of stories that we heard at the at the very beginning of 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 your book and at the beginning of this of this five part podcast podcast series, the stories we heard from uh, Ayash about you know growing up and having uh, you know your dentist or your or your imam or your tutor or the person who's going to help you you know get uh, you know learn how to how to do info tech stuff and then maybe even start a career in IT. Uh, all of these 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 benefits that are a sort of intangible support uh, and community and belonging uh, from your school to your neighborhood and so on that come from the brotherhood you're saying this no longer this no longer exists it's no longer something the brotherhood can 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 use to draw uh, members exactly the recruitment and retention mechanisms that the brotherhood had in Egypt are no longer viable in its different types of exiles Um and are probably no longer viable in Egypt either. So the Brotherhood has to contend with an HR problem, essentially, right? How do we continue to bring people in? How do we continue to retain these people? And what do we need to develop to make sure that um, we are still viable uh, as a, a, an entity of sorts, as a non-state actor into uh, the next decade or so? So you talked about the the organization not having the resources that it used to have to uh, help support people's education or take care of, 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 of widows or families while people are in prison um, and, and create these sort of network of services uh, that was so appealing to people. And at the same time, there must be also a parallel crisis in the, the just the communal and ideological meaning of membership, right? If, uh, if today the organization is thriving in exile or in prison, um, and meanwhile in Egyptian society, it's at the margins, illegal, banned, and underground, uh, it, it must be a real uh, confusing question for a, an existing brotherhood member or a prospective brotherhood member to say, like, well, what, what, what would it even mean to join uh, and, and contribute uh, to, to the brotherhood today? That, that's a really good question, and I think it, it's one that a lot of members and ex-members uh, contend with, right? What does it mean to be a brother? Like, 
what does it mean to be a member of the brotherhood? In Egypt right now, it, what it means to be a member of the brotherhood is uh, that you are uh, actively against the state or that you're actually in prison and that's and, and that's why you're there because you're a member of this band group. But if you're in exile, what it means to some well, like what it means to some people is that it's a continuation. It's it, being a member of the Brotherhood is being part of an organization that continues to maintain a space of being politically agentic, right? It's not necessarily uh, you. They it's not necessarily out of an abundance of religiosity. It's not necessarily out of an abundance of lack of social mobility and wanting to like climb up the social ladder. But it's an abundance. Uh, it, it's it's a manifestation of wanting to continue to be uh, active in your anti-regime act. Uh, than your anti-regime sentiments and your anti-regime activism. There's also a sense in which being a part of the Brotherhood might actually help in getting you a citizenship in Turkey and helping facilitate some sort of job or arrangement for you to stay in Sudan or in Malaysia or in Qatar. And a lot of these social uh, social and political bonds were formed in, in exile. But there is a question of, all right, why did the people that leave the organization leave the organization, right? Um, and it's not necessarily because they all don't believe in the same brotherhood's conception of the relationship between state and society and how God fits in the picture. A lot of them left the brotherhood because they think that the brotherhood is not being brotherhood enough. And that's something I heard repeatedly in interviews with uh, with former members. They, they left them because they don't believe that this organization is the right vehicle to continue that type of message and to hold that sentiment anymore. So are the, is the objection of, so these are members who want, who want a more activist organization and, and sort of in our, in our last, uh, uh, the last, uh, episode of this podcast, one of the things that, that came up was sort of in, in the current moment, the brotherhood leadership seems to be drifting towards a, a sort of quiescent, uh, approach and, and sort of maybe a rebuilding, focusing on the spiritual rather than the political, um, and and maybe stepping away uh, from from the active engagement in politics that's been the organization's hallmark. Uh, so, I guess uh, uh, I'm curious about this this part of the constituency you're talking about, the part that wants more uh, rather than less. Is it? Is it more, you know, more politics that they want? Is it more a more uh, like robust or even militant uh, confrontation with the state? Like, what is it that these uh, the people who are leaving because it's not brotherhood enough? What is it that they what what is it that they would define as uh, adequately, sufficiently uh, active and engaged uh, bro brotherhoodness uh, at this at this juncture? So, I'm going to give you a bit of a longer answer than than you hoped for. So. Um, but 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 the question you're you're asking touches on something within the brotherhood that's really quite important to to, to understand. I think that it's it's a bit overlooked, and the and that's the question of citizenship within the brotherhood. Right? Not all brothers are created equal, even if they are on the same high like organizational. Um, name or, or, or so, so like if you're an Akha it doesn't mean that you're equal to another Akha and if you, you have two Muntasibs doesn't mean that they're both the same Muntasib right and it's a difference between the lines are drawn between people who grew up within the brotherhood in their own neighborhoods and those are seen as like more brotherhood more uh, in touch with um, what the brotherhood actually is and what it means to be a brother with, with the brotherhood's mission and people who are more engaged in al-amal al-ayam, right? People who are more engaged in public-facing work, people who grow out, out of universities um, and uh, working within syndicates. These, like, these are like uh, the coastal elites of the Muslim brotherhood, right? 
<laughs> that's that's one way to put it. These are the coastal elites of the Muslim Brotherhood, and the the juncture, like the the difference between them there was highlighted in our interviews, and the gap between them was when we asked uh, both leaders and and youth, um, what do you think is the lar- is the biggest challenge the Brotherhood has to contend with, and these are interviews we did in 2022 right uh, just this year and we saw a quite a bit of difference between people who said the biggest challenge we face is um is what the stuff is the unity of the organization we need to make sure everyone feels that they're part of the same organization that we're all one and that the organization internally is as strong as it could uh, as it can be and another uh con- like faction or uh or other members Describe the largest uh, challenge that the, the organization faces is the tens of thousands of political prisoners in Egypt at the moment, right? And 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 the, I think what the former um, episode is alluding to is the recent the, or, or who the the organization is going to pick pick as its new supreme guide, as its new murshid. And what it seems like they're going for is someone who's a lot more acquiescent in his approach, someone who really cares about the sanctity of the organization and sees it front and believes that it's more front and center than uh, more positive and public and and public facing uh, work and engagement with with what's going on politically in Egypt. This bifurcation. This bifurcation is something that has existed within the Brotherhood, and it's something that has contributed to less than ideal both politics and less than ideal um, terbia or less than ideal indoctrination or, uh, within the Brotherhood. To answer your question more directly, what are what are people looking for, right? The person that says that it's not Brotherhood enough, or the person that says this is the organization that is is great at the like the best organization to be a part of at the moment. They're both looking for ideas. They're both looking for ideas, and they're both uh, as to uh, what they could subscribe to. And they're both they're both at a point where these ideas are are lacking. And in this new moment where the Brotherhood is. And what we call it's 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 like uh, it's, it's, a, it's a critical juncture. It's a, it's a restart. It's the third reconstitution of the brotherhood. Unless they come up with good ideas for either party, for the public facing party or for the um, inward looking faction within the organization, I, the membership crisis will become increasingly severe. Yeah, I mean, this sounds so. So this sort of moves us on to the next thing I wanted to ask you about, which is the the, the sort of void, void of leadership, void of ideas, uh, and how that plays out for the membership. You know, from from one vantage point, uh, you know, the Brotherhood's staying power seems to be rooted in its ability to to rebound from massive moments of crackdown like the one in the 50s and 60s or like the one at the, at the present moment. And on the other hand, it's Achilles heel seems to be that same like single mindedness of purpose to sort of, you know, move forward by existing and exist by moving forward. Uh, and, and then we ask like, okay, what are, what are the great ideas that this organization is bringing to the crises of its day? Uh, and from what I read in, in your in your research here in your work, uh, is you know that it really hasn't brought any great ideas. You know, after the uh, you know the coup, which was you know which followed a really desultory performance during that one year in power uh, uh, in in this 
these these years of like reaction, repression, massive authoritarianism, you know, mass large scale murder of brotherhood members, and so on. All these uh, major and minor crises, not just for the brotherhood, but for Egypt, for political life in Egypt, for 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 you know any kind of political life whatsoever. Um, uh, suffering under this incredibly rep- repressive and and in, ineffectual uh, government, but that's that's very effective at maintaining power. What is the Brotherhood's answer to this? What is what is what is the Brotherhood's answer to Egypt's crisis, Egypt's emergency? Um, and and you know, like I, like you uh, you say this in with a lot of complexity in the book, but like you know, give us your your sort of your simple answer, you know, like does, does the organization even try to address these crises or is it still just sort of stuck trying to figure out how to, how to survive, how to be an organization, how to uh, sort of be all things to all its different constituencies without really taking a, a, a clear view on the, 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 the present emergency. So to answer your, your question directly, no, there are no new ideas. There isn't an answer to Egypt's emergency. There are some answers and fits and starts in a way. So there are, so, so for instance, one answer the Brotherhood has offered is, how about we just do not engage politically? We, and Ibrahim Munir, before he passed, came out and said, Ibrahim Munir is a former Supreme Guide. He came out and said that we are former acting Supreme Guide. He came out and said that they will, the organization won't be running for political office, right? So in, in that sense, there's sort of like an internalization of a lot of criticism that was made against the Brotherhood that you guys are the most organized, but it so happens that when you run for the for office, you cannot conceive of another um, orientation in, in which you don't win everything, right? So when, when he says that we're not going to engage and in, 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 in we're not going to run for political office, that's one type of concession. A lot of former members, though, um, have tried to grapple with this question. And so Amr Darug is a former member. He's part of these these public-facing people. He was part of uh, one of the like major committees that were in the Brotherhood after 2013. He was a former minister. He's Him and others in uh, different exiles in Turkey and so on have started their own think tanks where they think about some of these issues. And the issues they write about, talk about, engage with questions of like crises within the brotherhood but also talk about egypt writ large where they publish books on taxation in egypt and how to fix the tax system you're also in a place where a lot of uh people of the younger generation there's a network of uh students uh, who work uh, who study social sciences in turkey who are both undergrads and graduate students who have an estimate who have over 200 members within their network of people who grapple with the same questions uh that plague them that led to their exile, right? What is What are the consequences of incarceration in Egypt? What are the consequences of exile? How do we work, how do we work as a diaspora? Why, how did it end up that the Brotherhood lost as much as they did uh, in the coup or that um, polit- the project of political Islam in and of itself um, has failed in the region or was ca- severely challenged in the, in the region? And I think that these are all positive indications that maybe we're at a point where if the organization is able to internalize some of these uh, revisions and some of this new thinking that's happening, that if when it so happens that everyone's back in Egypt or if there's some sort of political opening, that we might see an emergence of new ideas, of better ideas 
frankly, than the ones that came before, and ideas that might contribute to to change to uh, to change in the country and to positive change. Where we are now, though, does not necessarily does not necessarily indicate that we are there yet. We'll uh, we'll pick this point up after the break. I'm Thanasi Kambanis, and I'm talking with Ahmed Al-Afifi about the membership crisis in the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood uh, in the fifth and last of our Broken Bonds podcast series. Uh, We'll be right back. Today's world is changing faster than ever. Old rules don't apply, and the new rules haven't been written. At least not yet. I'm Rohan Advani, and I produce the Order from Ashes podcast at the Century Foundation a leading progressive think tank that promotes peace, cooperation, and equality at home and abroad. On Order from Ashes, we try to make sense of a new international system in which America no longer dictates the global order. Join us as we talk to activists and analysts on the front lines of the most pressing issues in international policy. Welcome back. I'm Tanasi Kambanis. You're listening to Order from Ashes. Century International's podcast, and this is the fifth and final episode in our Broken Bond series, The Existential Crisis of Egypt's Muslim Brotherhood, 2013 to 2022. I'm talking to Ahmed Al-Afifi, and we're talking about the membership crisis and also the path forward, sort of where this can go and what it's going to mean. And uh, uh, right before the break, uh, you were were talking about the sort of dearth of new ideas, uh, what it would take for there to be a renewal, um, and I guess I, I want to uh, uh, like wrap up our our, ta- our our part of the conversation about the membership crisis uh, before we move on to the sort of uh, you know next steps, policy implications, and so on. Uh, so, in when you when you all wrote this uh, the study of the membership crisis, you talk um, at length about how this plays out in the diaspora, how this plays out in prisons. Um, And what you were just saying before the break is that ultimately all this ferment and fragmentation um, and sort of loss of of membership, both the meaning of membership and also really the number of members, all this could eventually lead to a renewal. Uh, But you were just starting to say, and I want you to elaborate, where where is the organization now? Uh, Is it in a stage of renewal or is it still, is it still in a, in a moment of like accelerated fragmentation and sort of struggling, uh, for coherence? Like where, like what's the di- diagnostically, what do you see when you look at this landscape now, after all these dozens and dozens of interviews, uh, you did, uh, that went into the making of this, of this research project. When, when you say this, an, an anecdote comes to mind that one of the interviewees shared with us, and, and that was, in, as we were conducting interviews, the rift between uh, the group of Mahmoud Hussein and Ibrahim Munir's group, um, or to oversimplify, like the London office and the, 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 the Istanbul office, uh, was, was sort of coming to an end. And the Ibrahim Munir group, in an attempt to like assert its legitimacy and make sure every everyone was under its wing, started having sit-downs with... Um, former members or members who had left the organization for one reason or another to try to talk to them and to try to like see how their the organization itself was going to move forward. And in one of these conversations, the senior leader was saying, or the senior member was saying, um, we have to think together about how what the organization can do, what we can do for our country, what we can do vis-a-vis other uh political parties and factions, how are we going to engage with them? To which one of the younger respondents uh, said, 
well, before we do all of that, we have to contend with the crises within, right? The trauma we have is uh, the trauma we have from CC and from exile and from detainment is as much from the state as it is from you. The trauma we have from you is more than the trauma we have from CC in some instances. And before we move on, we need a public reckoning within the organization. How is it that we have been out of the country for nearly a decade, but we're in some ways at the same point that we were in 2013, except we have a lot less resources. Geopolitics is more against us than ever. And there's a, a dearth of ideas, right? So in, in some ways, what I'm trying to say by this is that people, problem uh, members within the organization uh, problematize their situation the same way an analyst would, right? It's it's a decade later, and they've uh, and and they're they're struggling on all fronts. When Munir's faction came to came to, to to realize this, and it took it seriously, and you'd hear things from uh, members uh, around like senior members that were very closely uh, working, that were working with Munir very closely, they'd say things like, we have been, we've put like uh, a thousand working hours into into thinking about how to save Egypt politically and economically, and into thinking about how we can position ourselves vis-a-vis um, the, the state and vis-a-vis other organizations. But we haven't seen a positive project put by them just yet. I think one thing to, to recognize though is, the difference in the political opening that will occur uh, based on the Ikhwan putting their best foot forward and having like the most uh, comprehensive, foolproof project to save Egypt and and uh, them having, uh, uh, frankly, horrible or, or incoherent uh, project to save Egypt is really... In, in the in the situation Egypt is in now at the moment, probably going to lead to the same outcome, right? Because it's not it's we're not in a, in a time in which political discourse has a lot of uh, credence or has a lot of legitimacy. But I think unless they start doing this work now, they in years from now when it really matters, when the quality of your work really matters, when the quality of your contribution really matters, uh, unless they have something positive and thoughtful and thought out. Um, they will not be able to engage in politics. And even if they win, um, if they go back to Egypt and there are elections and they win, a couple of years in, they were going, they're going to lose uh, all of their legitimacy, all of their credibility, and all of their uh, and and a lot of the support that had brought the, that will have brought them to office. Well, so that's a that's actually a great setup for uh, the subject we want to end. We want to end this conversation in this series on, uh, which is sort of where, like, what happens from here? Uh, you titled the, the, the last section of, of the book, you titled it Unva- Unvanquished, but No Path to Victory. Um, and uh, the, I think the question uh, you're trying to answer, the question I want to ask you here is, um, you know, what what's, like, we have now almost 10 years of, uh, of, the Brotherhood's experience after the coup, after Rabah. Um, so, where do you see this heading in the in in the ten years to come? I mean, what's what what's next in this uh, period of the Brotherhood in in disarray, fragmentation, and and in the political wilderness, or even the social wilderness? I think it's important to to, to 
realized that the brotherhood that we that Hassan al-Banna started in the late 20s of the last century is not the same brotherhood we're dealing with almost 100 years later. And and I, I what I worry about is that I don't know that some of the members themselves or the leadership of the organization recognizes that. The way we think about political participation, the way we think about organizing, the way what we know about how and why social movements succeed and fail and why people are mobilized or demobilized is not something that has been, that that's that the organization looks at critically. And the organization is yet to answer a lot of questions that has been struggling with since if not since the inception of the organization, then since the late 50s, and whether they are a religious organization or whether they're a political organization. And I think now more than never, and in conversations I've had with members of the uh, like leftist groups or uh, quote-unquote liberal groups in Egypt, um, now more than ever is a time in which if everyone or else is organized, and uh, they have, they will, they could have a larger impact on how the Brotherhood will shape its ideology, how what the Brotherhood will do with the organization. Uh, sitting, if I think people sitting in the seat of leadership within the Brotherhood look at an organization that has contributed quite a lot to politics in the region, to religious instruction in the region, to economic thinking in the region. Um, and but you're at a point now where the organization is a lot bigger than what it could provide, and they have to make really hard decisions about where they're going to put the little resources they have left, because the resources, while they will not end, will continue to decrease as like economic crises hit people, as a lot of their money gets um, frozen, as their assets get frozen, um, and as retention, as recruitment continues to decrease. The, the money that they get from for from members in different exiles will continue to decrease as well. One other important, uh, I think, conjecture to 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 think of is to situate the Brotherhood within a larger context of understanding what happens to groups under authoritarianism or un, under decades of repression and under decades of repression, what organizations tend to what organizations tend to do is I think that you have a lot of narratives rather than coherent thoughts and ideas and ideology that pushes them forward. And a lot of these like big banner type things like an Islam or like, uh, or our Islam is the solution. Islam is the solution. Our peacefulness is stronger than bullets or, uh, we will concede or not concede to the state. A lot of that needs to be substantiated by actual thinking and by, programs in order to propel the organization forward. What I do think that the last 10 years have proved, though, is that any security-oriented solutions will not dissolve the Brotherhood, right? You are not going to imprison the Brotherhood away. You're not going to kill every last member and make sure that there is no Brotherhood anymore. I think the idea is larger than the sum of the parts of the organization. And um, the only way, if, like, the only way that, like, the Brotherhood is going to to cease to exist in one way or another as having these dual roles uh, as a political player and also uh, being uh, uh, and also a religious player, so to say, is if the state starts in like o- opens up a little bit, right? If if the states or uh, if, or if Egypt or uh, the Brotherhood in other parts of uh, of the Arab world 
are are allowed to fail in politics on their own or allowed or or have to come to grapple with a society that uh, has better ideas to pick from or has um uh, contentions that they have with them but i think the point i want to take home is that the brotherhood cannot be imprisoned away the brotherhood cannot be exiled away it's a problem it's 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 an organization that is far-reaching within the Egyptian state, it, ha- it draws on sentiments that people associate with over the last 90-plus years. They have been a space for political agency in ways other organizations have not. Uh, Hisham Salam's new book, which I recommend, Classes Politics, talk about how this talks about how the space was created in the friction between the left and the Islamists um, under Sadat, but it was nonetheless there. And, and the Brotherhood was a space for political mobilization, for learning how to mobilize, even if people did not stay within the organization. So despite the decades of demonization, they have continued to have a base in the country and they will continue to have a base in the country. And the only way to see their politics uh, away is to let them fail on their own. I mean, I think this is one of the really important and innovative implications of, of your work here and your your study, you and your co-authors in Broken Bonds, is, uh, you know, for all, there's a huge amount of talk about the Brotherhood as an ideological phenomenon or as a security problem. Uh, it's the way that the Egyptian government has chosen to conceive of it. Uh, sometimes it's the way the UK, uh, the US and others have chosen to, to, to think about and talk about the Brotherhood. But in fact, what you give us a picture of is something else entirely, which is a, uh, you know, fully institutionalized movement that has, uh, that has, that has organizations and membership and institutions and legitimacy that, that, uh, far transcends any individual leader or member. Uh, and so we need to think of it, uh, sociologically, think of it as, as, you know, it's, it's a movement, it's a party, it's an institution. Um, it has changed over time and presumably will continue to do so. Uh, but it cannot be, uh, properly understood, uh, uh, through a security prism, um, and nor can it be managed in practical terms, uh, uh, through security tools. Um, now the other, the other thing that, that you convinced me of, uh, through through this this book and through um, the the things you've you've showed here is that um, the Brotherhood doesn't really understand itself. You know, the Brotherhood and its leadership have a very uh, rigid idea of what they are, but that idea is not entirely accurate, right? So they think uh, they they seem to talk about themselves and think of themselves as a mass ideological organization that can sort of seamlessly shift between a political role and a social or religious role as the times dictate um, and that is somehow like timeless and enduring uh, uh, and 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 everywhere all at once but what what you all have through these these extensive interviews and and really granular detailed documentation what you show is that this is actually a you know yes effective and enduring but it's an elite membership based organization whose uh, whose roots uh, and and persistence have have largely been uh, as a result of being able to uh, effectively service its membership. So not some mass public, but rather it's, it's relatively small actual uh, membership. Um, and, and so that's both been its, um, its sort of recipe for success and also uh, it's great limitation. That is why it doesn't adapt and evolve the way 
a mass membership political movement, let's say, would. Um, and I guess I want to end on on that on that note, which is uh, uh, is um, the next generation of Egypt's Muslim Brotherhood is it the generation that is right now uh, organizing and uh, and and running itself inside Egypt's prisons? Is that is that where uh, you know the 10, 20, 30 years from now Muslim Brotherhood is going to be uh, is going to is going to be formed from? I think the next generation of the leadership within the Muslim Brotherhood is going to depend on the quality of ideas that people outside of prison are able to bring to the table. So once you have older leaders and you have a cadre of people who have paid so much uh, in uh, so much of like of years of their lives behind bars of torture of 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 so when they come out, the quality of ideas that they're going to see, the what's left of the organization, is going to determine the trajectory of the organization. If it's more of the same, then we're going to go back to a situation where we're recreating these same crises, where we're going to have ordeal-based legitimacies running the organization with the, or, or the identity of the organization is going to, to, to continue to be uh, amorphous and where the membership crisis will still be there, but you'll have a lot of recruits with very little to offer, ev- uh, with very little to offer, even if these like material resources are there, but where like... Uh, still having some of the same issues that that we discussed earlier. If the people outside of prisons are able to, to, to think creatively and convincingly about what the organization can do uh, and what the organization should be doing and where it should be spending its resources, we might be in for an organization that is a lot more coherent in its strategy and that people come out of the who come out of prisons are able to seamlessly fold within the the uh, the organization the organization if it wants to contain what needs to continue to reset and restart and re-strategize based on its own terms not always in reactionary terms to severe waves of repression by the state and i'm struck that you know even as you document in, in really uh, you know excruciating detail how deep the crisis and drift within this this organization the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood is at the same time it remains i think the 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 most vibrant and maybe the sole active repository of alternative politics for Egypt uh in in a period of of unprecedented state repression is that is that right yes and I, and i think that speaks to the resiliency both of the organization itself and of the members it's hard to underscore how difficult it is to be a member of the Muslim Brother, and it's all hard to underscore how much people in prison and their families and the organization itself suffers. It's easy to criticize and point and like and 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 blame and sometimes rightfully so a lot of the leaders of the organization in saying that they failed and saying that they were horrible and saying that some of the things they did and said and continue to say and do are quite frankly and excuse my French stupid. Right. But but the reality of the matter is because they no, but the reality of the matter is that there is something to be said that they are still able to uh, um, still able to, to 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 retain a lot of uh, legitimacy in one way or another amongst the public or amongst other people who haven't yet like had public outbursts against the organization. A lot of that does not have to do with the organization being um, very smart on its own, but has to do with the nature of repression in Egypt and the conditions that CC has created for. Um, the carceral state to exist as it is. Um, in and 
And I think that speaks to how and why the organi- the Brotherhood has continued to contribute to public life and political life uh, before from uh, the 20s uh, onwards till today. I think in a situation in which Egypt is truly pluralistic and in which people are allowed to like freely associate and uh, organize politically, a lot of these, uh, the Brotherhood will be acknowledged as an organization that has maintained the space for oppositional politics, but it will have to contend with better and uh, with better ideas and have to like, upgrade and update a lot of its uh, ideas and organizational mechanisms to remain relevant. And in the years and, and decades to come, uh, Egypt is going to continue to be a really important uh, country in the Middle East and the Arab world. Uh, and the Brotherhood is going to continue to be uh, a really important pole for political action and thinking, uh, both in Egypt and across the region, a, a sort of uh, guide and, and, and source of ideas and approaches, bad ones, uh, as well as uh, one hopes eventually good ones. Um, and so if we want to have some clues about where Egypt and the region and Islamism, Islamist politics are headed, uh, we uh, would do well to start with a, a close read of Broken Bonds, uh, which is a new book that uh, Ahmed uh, and Afifi, who we were just talking to, Abdurrahman uh, Ayash and Noha Ezat, uh, have written. Uh, the book's called Broken Bonds, The Existential Crisis of Egypt's Muslim Brotherhood, 2013 to 2022. Uh, you can find this podcast and the previous ones in its series, as well as information about how to read the book at the Century Foundation's website, tcf.org. Uh, This is the fifth and final episode in Broken Bonds special series on the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, I hope you listeners have enjoyed as much as I have this journey uh, that helps explain what has become of the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt over the last decade and why that matters. Uh, Amir uh, Al-Afifi, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much, Fanasi. I appreciate you. And congratulations to you, uh, Abdurrahman Ayash and Noha Ezat, for your fantastic research, uh, which really lifts uh, uh, engaging and also entertaining uh, curtain on what's uh, been happening in the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood over the last decade. Thanks for listening. Uh, this is Order from Ashes, Century International's podcast, and I'm Thanasi Kambadis. Until next time. The Order from Ashes podcast has been brought to you by Century International. Our work builds on more than 100 years of commitment to international peace, security, and governance at the Century Foundation. We are independent, critical, and progressive. For more information about Century International's work, please visit tcf.org or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We depend on audience feedback to reach new listeners. If you like what you hear, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.